We are, um, we're starting a new, a new teaching series. And to kind of get us going, I want you to think about some of the, the great stories that you know. And in my opinion, every great story has an even better backstory or prequel, right? Think about classic movies. Like if you're into Westerns, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is the prequel to A Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More. Godfather Part Two, maybe the greatest movie ever made, is a prequel. Think about basically any Marvel movie, right? There's like 17 prequels to each, to each one of them. And I've completely lost track of the Star Wars timeline, so I don't know what's, what comes before what. We're gonna start studying the book of Philippians. And Philippians is just like those stories in that it has a great backstory. It has a great prequel, which was what the, the folks in the band just read for us. Unlike those stories, which are fictitious, this is a very real letter written by very real people to other very real people, okay? So that's, um, that's what we're gonna be looking at over the, over the summer. And to, to get to the backstory of the Philippians, we need to know a little bit about the backstory of Paul. If you guys have been around for a while, this should be semi-familiar to you. I told you guys we would come back to Acts, right? This is, we've, we've gone through this, this passage before. We're gonna look at it from a slightly different angle. Last time we kind of concentrated on Paul and Silas. This time we're gonna look at it from a little bit different angle, but we still need to know who Paul is and what he's been up to. So um, Paul, who describes himself in some of his other writings as the worst of all sinners who, for whom the grace of God is sufficient. I love that, I love that description. It kind of feels like I could like, just grab hold of that for myself. Um, he wrote, there's um, 21 letters, 27 total books in the New Testament. Of those 21 letters, Paul wrote 13 of them. He was a very prolific, prolific writer. And we're going to talk a little bit more next week about the process of that, that letter writing and that kind of stuff. Um, but he also, uh, maybe, maybe most importantly for us, he started churches. That's what he did. He traveled around and he started churches. And he loved the people and the churches that he started. And maybe more than any church, he loved the church at Philippi the most. Think of what, what would, for, for those of us who are parents of multiple children, what's the most awkward question anybody could ask you? Who's your favorite kid, right? And I think if we were to ask Paul who his favorite church was, if he just stopped and he told us the truth, I think he would tell us the church at Philippi. And as we go through this study, we look at the backstory today and through the course of the summer, um, I think that will begin to emerge as we see that Paul and the church of Philippi were together. They were together in Christ. They were together in the gospel. They were together in suffering. They were together in generosity. They were together across the miles. They were together across time. They were together in the messes of life and in the mission of Jesus, and it bound them together. So that's kind of the big idea for today. It's the big idea for the whole series as we look at Paul and his interactions with the people of Philippi. So a little bit more about the backstory of, of the passage that we, that we just read. So Jesus had lived his perfect, perfect life. He died his, his innocent death, and then he rose triumphantly, and he ascended again into heaven. He commissioned a bunch of people to teach the rest of the world 
everything that he had taught them and to how to obey everything that he had taught them. And they would go around and they were teaching this idea of, of the grace of Jesus that's found by faith for the forgiveness of sins. We saw that phrase in the passage, Paul's message. That's Paul's message in short. And what that was doing is it was creating cultural chaos. The, the society was very much stratified. There was a lot of who's in and who's out. And so Jesus came and he started a race in lines and it was confusing people. And um, one of the other apostles, Peter, had a vision where God told him, erase some more lines. And then the work of Paul and another guy named Barnabas on one of their road trips, they started erasing more lines. So there was, the, this scripture calls it the dividing wall of hostility, right? The wall of hostility that existed between unrepentant man and God, the wall of hostility that exists between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, Greek and barbarian, all, all of that, all those, that wall had come down, but the practical implications of that were still trying to figure out today, aren't we? Right? We still haven't figured out how to keep those lines that Jesus erased, erased. So um, that's a little bit of the, where we find Acts 16 in the middle of the, the biblical story, right? They had just had this big meeting, and the church leaders said, okay, all this cultural chaos is going on. We have to try to help people figure this out. What we're going to do is nobody's going to have to become, a, become Jewish before they become Christian. We're going to ask them to do a, a couple of things, but they're not going to have to do everything, all 613 commandments that exist in the Old Testament. And so this big meeting went out, and they were carrying this message around. And so, like I said, Paul would go on these road trips, right, these long trips. Most people think he took three of these trips, um, some people think four, but this is his second trip, okay, his second trip. He was with, um, he was with Timothy, who he helped him write this letter. He was with um, Silas and another guy named Epaphroditus. It's a great, I love that name, Epaphroditus. I don't know if like, it would fit on the back of a jersey, but it's a great name. Um, and so this was their, their, their second journey. Paul wanted to go to Asia and Bithynia. Those red circles with the lines through them, that's Asia and Bithynia. The Holy, they were, it says they were kept from going to those places. The line that runs through the middle of them is basically what was left. And then Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia, which is northern Greece. And the vision is a man saying, please come help us. He's pleading with them, please come help us. Paul wakes up the next morning, tells the fellows, they hop a boat and they sail across the Aegean and they end up in Philippi. Philippi is important for a lot of reasons, right? This is definitely div a divine appointment for um, Paul and, and his team. Philippi, the text said it was a leading city, right? It was a Roman colony, which meant it was populated by former Roman soldiers and their families. It, as a Roman colony, all of the privileges, all of the culture, all of the dress, all of the language, all of the cultural stratification, right? Rome existed in very stratified layers from top to bottom. And there was almost no movement unless you were a Roman male. If you were anything outside of that, you were kind of where you were born was where you stayed. Um, it was geographically, right? So if, if you're at all familiar with your geography, looking at that map where Philippi is, it's the crossroads of east and west between Europe and Asia. 
there was a road called the Via Ignatia. It was a Roman road that brought together east and west. Now, a little side note here. I had no idea. My son brought this up to me the other day how Roman roads still exist in pretty good conditions, and we have a pothole out here the size of the Grand Canyon, right? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it was a major Roman road, and it was the first gospel presence in Western Europe, which is like a huge, huge deal. The gospel, you look in the bottom, um, my, you're right, the bottom right-hand corner is Jerusalem, kind of where all this stuff started, and it comes around the outside of the Mediterranean and comes up into Asia and now is making its way into Europe. That's the path that the gospel took. All right, we tracking so far, history, all that, all that fun stuff. So when they get to Philippi, they meet some people, and the first person that we, we read about is Lydia. Lydia was a female. She was a mover and a shaker. She was wealthy. She dealt in purple cloth. Purple cloth was special back then because of the process you had to go through to make it purple. Very expensive. Um, based upon the text, and there was no interaction between her and a husband or her and a father about inviting a team to stay at the house, um, we can pretty safely assume that she was the head of that household. And she invites the team to stay with her after um, she believes Paul's message. And I love what we read about her in the text. Is she was a God-fearer. She, got, she loved God already, but she didn't know about Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. But she shows up, says God opened her heart to receive Paul's message. Right? Lydia was a person of peace for Paul and his team. God was already at work in her life. And they showed up, and they just kind of helped connect the dots for her and welcomed her into this, new, into this new new family. And so they kind of set up shop at her house. That was like HQ for the Church of Philippi headquarters. From there, um, they meet this slave woman, which is a really interesting interaction. She basically annoys Paul into casting this, this demon out of her. Um, a couple things about her. Um, we can... We can assume, we know, obviously, that she was used by her, her owners, right? She was possessed in two different senses of the word. She was possessed by other people, and she was possessed by a demon. These people made a great deal of money off of her, and so when Paul cast out the demon, that money-making ability was gone. And in the, in the original text, it's really interesting because um, Luke, who wrote this, uses the same word to describe the leaving of the demon as he does the leaving of the money from the girl's owners. Right? He wanted to be really sure that the understanding was there that demon's gone, money's gone. Right? That, that's, that, was, that was super important. Um, as such, money's gone, owners get mad, they drag Paul and Silas to the authorities, they get roughed up, and they get thrown in jail. And not just any jail. The way it's described, they're in the worst part of the jail, the part where they, like, was saved to rough up prisoners. They, do, they get roughed up, they're in the middle of the jail, and they're singing. They're singing worship songs. Right? Yeah. No, I got, like, how, do you, how does that, I don't know. Um, and then an earthquake strikes. An earthquake strikes with such force that it blows the doors open and such precision that it knocks their shackles off. That's, that's an, amazing, an amazing earthquake. And there's kind of chaos. You can kind of picture the scene in the jail. 
Um, he calls for lights. Like, nobody flipped the light switch, right? They had to go light the, light the torches. Um, and he, the, the jailer is about to do himself in because if he had lost those prisoners, that would have meant his life was done for anyways. And so he was going to take his own life. And Paul's like, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. We're still here. And then the jailer asks him, what must I do to be saved? And so one of the things that comes to my mind is, saved from what? Saved from this earthquake that was that powerful and that strategic? Saved from um, the, the, his bosses who were going to like kill him because he lost prisoners? Or had God been at work in his life already? And preparing his heart, and he sees this just cataclysm happen around him. I'm like, how do I how do I be saved for ever? So as we look at these people and the like, the interactions that Paul and Silas and Timothy and they have with them, they're they're very. Um, the very personal interactions. They interact with each of their households, right? Granted, it was the slave woman's owners, but they had interactions not just with these people, but with their, with their households. And what they did had this ripple effect. It wasn't just the people who they talked to. It was this ripple effect. But the bottom line is that Jesus is the answer, right? He's the answer to the big question. It says Lydia was open to Paul's message. Again, Paul's message was the grace of Jesus that through faith brings the forgiveness of sins. That was Paul's message that Lydia took to heart. The slave girl shouting for days, for days it said, these men are telling you what you must do to be saved. And then the jailer, what must I do to be saved? Right, we have to walk away from this passage thinking about the big question. Right, the big question, and in, in, in each instance, very different people. Right, so there's the big question that gets answered, but there's also the little questions that gets answered. In this new family of God, in this new community, all class structure is gone. Lydia, upper class, wealthy, probably defined by her ability to generate wealth and just the abundance of her life, a big house big enough to host a team of people traveling around, that's no longer what defines her. The slave girl, who, if she had a class, was definitely at the bottom of the rung, was low, the lowest class, probably defined by her affliction and her captivity. I mean, like, all she's referred to in the text as a slave woman. Those definitions are now no longer there. Right? Her affliction, her, captiv- her captivity is gone. And then the jailer. He was, I mean, think about how many people that you know who are in law enforcement now who are former military, right? And knowing that Philippi was made up of former military, pretty, pretty good chance that he was former military and he was now in law enforcement. He was really good at following orders. That's what, that's what he did. And the, the fear of not obeying the rules, right? The fear of, I'm going to kill myself because I don't want to face my higher-ups because I didn't follow the rules. Now that's gone. Right? And he's, he's like everybody. He's in the middle class. And he's just hanging out there. And those, um, those stratifications are now gone. 
and the people no longer define themselves by where they fall on that Roman hierarchy, but they're defined by Jesus in the center and their relationship with him. And they came to him out of the messes of life, out of their messes, right? And in the middle of the mission of Jesus. That's where this kind of stuff happens. So as we think about all this information, the historical information, the geographical information, what we know about the people who are in these accounts, what is it that makes the Philippians the favorites of Paul, or what I would suggest as the favorites of Paul? Um, think about all of that, all of that coming together in this one, one package. Right? The, the idea that they were even in Philippi, that's not where Paul wanted to go. He wanted to go to Asia. It was a divine appointment that had them in Philippi. He had a vision, right? God gave him a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, please come help us. They get there and they have these really personal interactions with these individuals and their families. They set up shop in the home of one of them. I'm sure there was some ongoing teaching, right? They were teaching Lydia about Jesus and his good news and all the things that were important to Jesus and that would be important in this new family. And they had the, the interaction with the slave girl and getting thrown into jail and roughed up in an amazing earthquake. And then Paul was so worried about them, right? Paul had such a heart for them already. It has this weird ending, right? If I were Paul and Silas and they said, you're free, see ya, I'm out. But they said, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. We're Roman citizens, and you beat us publicly without a trial. Paul was, he wasn't just being a nudge, right? He was, he was super intentional in what he was doing about preparing the road for that community of faith. So the selflessness of Jesus, that answers the big questions. The selflessness of Paul and the team, that would, that would risk, no, no, we're gonna stay here. They can come, you know, they can come say sorry and, and walk us out. And as we look at all of that, right, I think we can begin to get this idea of like this amazing set of experiences that Paul and the people in Philippi shared amidst the messes of life and the, and the mission of Jesus. There is a, a missiologist named Alan Hirsch. Missiologist is somebody that studies how the gospel is transferred most efficiently and most effectively, and, and they write about it. And he steals a term from sociology, and the term is communitas, right? And the, and the definition is the family tie that is born out of an, an adventure, an ordeal, a challenge, or a mission. And for those of you who have been around Crossroads for the last couple years, um, we have certainly experienced all of that. Right? The adventure of moving this ministry forward after Rich and Heidi, our founding pastoral couple, decided you know, God was leading them to start a new ministry. That's been an adventure. We've had the shared ordeal of the pandemic and the social injustices and the violence and, and the, the oppression has certainly been an ordeal. And We've had the challenge of staying together during lockdown and trying to stay unified while everything around us is fracturing. And even in the midst of, of COVID, 
we've done what we can to advance the mission of Jesus, right? So to more consistently bring Jesus to people in a way that helps them come to know and grow in him so that they can draw others to do the same, right? We've, we've moved to two locations so that we might be intentionally more relational. We do, we've done things like we've tried table services so that we look each other in the eye Right? And we can know that even if we're had a hard time getting there or we're not comfortable, like the other people at that table are glad to be with us. And we've done things like message reflections where it's not just somebody like me sitting up here where we get a chance to talk about the text of the Bible and what God is speaking to us. We have certainly been through the messes of life and on the mission of Jesus together. This is the kind of community that we are trying to discover at Crossroads. All different kinds of people from all different backgrounds coming together with Jesus at the center. Trying to um, remember the lines that Jesus erased. Maybe we need to re-erase some of them. All different kinds of people looking up to Jesus for what he did what he does, what he will do, leaning in for support and encouragement and challenge in the messes of life and reaching out to the poor in spirit and the poor in resources in the middle of Jesus' mission. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for the gift of your word. Thank you that there is no other, no other book um, like your book. Thank you that it still speaks to us today, thousands of years later. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do a work in us, that you would, um, as today goes by and tomorrow and the rest of the week, that you would just bring um, this text back to, back to mind as we think about this relationship between Paul and the Philippian church, we think about the new community, the new family that is created when people come around you. God, we want to be like that. Would you make us like that, Jesus? God, we ask that you would do a work in each one of us, that you would do a work in us as a people, and then that you would give us the courage um, to move in response to that work. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. Amen.